Am I on? Yes, thank you. Oh, now I can hear a little bit now. Okay, great. Hi. Oh, I love love my Britney mic. <laughs> or NSYNC, if, if that's who you listened to in, in 2001. I like, I like Britney, the, the solo act. So, good morning, everybody. <laughs> my name is Val, Valerie, whatever, whatever you prefer. And as usual, I am very excited to be up here and to be with you all today. I'm honored to be part of our Matriarchs of the Faith series. I have said this before, and I'll say it again, but I think it's so important for content about women to be shared in spaces that contain people who are more than just women. So I'm excited. Yeah, we can have a little clap for that. Sure. <laughs> uh. So every fall, our church dives into the Old Testament. We go back and learn about the history leading up to Jesus. We take some time to understand the context and the foundation of the New Testament and what Jesus was coming to save. The Old Testament has always felt daunting and dense to me. And so I've really appreciated the time that we've taken to understand more of it. This fall, our teaching team has been diving into a few different female leaders and over the last few weeks, we have learned about some of the foundational females of the Old Testament. The teaching is all posted on the Love Chapel Hill website and on our YouTube page. If you want to go back and listen, I highly recommend uh, to learn about the matriarchs we have heard about so far. We learn in our first week from Justin about the first woman, Eve, and the poetic rendition of the creation of the world. Allison taught us about some of the ups and downs of Sarah's life and how at an old age she was able to bear a son and was called the mother of many nations. Caleb taught us about the sisters, Leah and Rachel, who, through their complex marriages, bore sons who became heads of some of the 12 tribes of Israel. Last week, Professor Dr. Chris Clark told us about Miriam, a prophet, a respected voice, and a worship leader, among other things, who led the Israelites alongside her brothers in the book of Exodus. And this week, we are learning about Deborah from the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And I am eager to introduce and to get to know her with you today. I first met Deborah when I was in grad school in Mankato, Minnesota. The church that Eddie and I went to was taking a group of women to an event called W Night, W for women. <laughs> and many of the ladies at the church were excited about it. We all dressed up and we went out to dinner together before driving to the event and I was a little bit skeptical going into it. Um, an event for a bunch of women, I kind of thought we were going to be talking about like Christian women's stuff, 
like the young women who had boyfriends, who was me at the time, um, would talk about how they wanted to get married, and the women who were married would talk about having babies, and everything in between would be about whatever being a, a good Christian woman was. Probably someone sweet, mild, and relatively passive. To my, okay, yeah, I hear a little, <laughs> maybe we've experienced that, maybe we've thought of that. So to my surprise, when we arrive at W Night, we learn about a woman that I had never heard of before named Deborah. Deborah, I learned that night, and will get to learn soon, is not a meek, mild, subservient woman, but a strong and steady leader. So let's get to know her. She may be someone that you've heard of before, or this might be a newer person in your learning journey of the Old Testament. She's found in Judges chapter 4, which is one of the earlier books of the Old Testament. And if you've brought your Bible, start now to find it. We've got a little bit of time before we read it together. So in, in my preparation for today, I was doing some learning and some looking and some reading about the book of Judges, and I watched a great video from the Bible Project that helps explain where the book of Judges fits into the Old Testament and who the judges are. And so instead of me trying to sum up everything I learned from the video, we're just going to show a section of it so that we can all see it together. The book of Judges. So remember, after Joshua led the tribes of Israel into the Promised Land, he called them to be faithful to their covenant with God by obeying the commands of the Torah. And if they do this, they will show all the other nations what God is like. So Judges begins with the death of Joshua and basically tells the story of Israel's total failure. The book's name comes from the type of leaders Israel had in this period. Before they had any kings, the tribes were all governed by these judges. Now, don't think of a courtroom. These were regional political military leaders, more like a tribal chieftain. And you need to be warned, the book of Judges is very disturbing and violent. It tells the tragic tale of Israel's moral corruption, of its bad leadership, and basically how they become no different than the Canaanites. But this sad story is also meant to generate hope for the future. And you can see this in how the book's designed. There's a large introduction that sets the stage for Israel's failure as they don't drive out the remaining Canaanites. Then the large main section of the book has stories about the growing corruption of Israel's judges. And the progression here shows how Israel's leaders go from pretty good to okay to bad to worse. The concluding section is really disturbing and shows the corruption of the people of Israel as a whole. So let's dive in and we can explore each part a bit more. The opening section begins with the tribes of Israel in their territories in the Promised Land. And while Joshua defeated some key Canaanite towns, there was still a lot of land to be taken and lots of Canaanites living in those areas. And so chapter 1 gives a long list of Canaanite groups and towns that Israel just failed to drive out from the land. Now remember, the whole point of driving out the Canaanites was to avoid their moral corruption and their way of worshiping the gods through child sacrifice. God had called Israel to be a holy people, and that does not happen. Chapter 2 describes how Israel just moved in alongside the Canaanites and adopted all their cultural and religious practices. And it's right here that the story stops. For nearly a whole chapter, the narrator gives us an overview of everything that's about to happen in the body of the book. 
This part of Israel's history, the narrator says, was a series of cycles moving in a downward spiral. So Israel became like the Canaanites, and so they would sin against God. So God would allow them to be conquered and oppressed by the Canaanites, and eventually the Israelites would see the error of their ways and repent. So God would raise up a deliverer, a judge, from among Israel who would defeat the enemy and bring about an era of peace. But eventually Israel would sin again and it would all start over. This cycle provides the literary design and flow for the next main section of the book. It gets repeated for each of the six main judges whose stories are told here. Now the stories of the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah, they are epic adventures. They're also extremely bloody stories. Either the judge themselves or people who help the judge, they defeat their enemies and deliver the people of Israel. The stories about the next three judges are longer, and they focus in on the character flaws of the judges, which get increasingly worse. So, Gideon. Okay, you might be thinking, I really want to watch the rest of that. And you can. If you scroll to the bottom of the Sunday page, there's some resources there. You can watch the rest of the video to learn about the rest of the book of Judges. So I'd like us, before we, we continue, to give a quick hand clap to my friend and hopefully yours, Amanda and Danny, who are back there doing the video and the sound. Let's hear it. That was great. <laughs> we always notice when something is, like, kind of off. You don't notice when it's seamless. I'm noticing that was seamless. So if you haven't dipped into any stuff that the Bible Project has, I do highly recommend. They make great stuff, great videos. They have a podcast. If there's any sort of content or scripture that you want to know more about, um, it's a great resource that we all have access to. Okay, back to our matriarch, Deborah. We saw her up there doing her thing. So we know from this video that the judges are selected to help guide and lead the people of Israel, that they come after the prophet Joshua's leadership, and they end before any kings are crowned. And they represent a time period and a long line of God's people trying their best to be in a right relationship with God and failing. So this is where we find Deborah. And well, before we get too far into who Deborah is, I think it's important to talk about who she isn't. Based on what we've learned about other women in the Old Testament, there are some themes that are not part of Deborah's story. For example, Deborah is not part of someone else's game or scheme. She is not a piece of property. She is not the winning or losing end of a deal. And she is not a side character in someone else's story. So who is Deborah? Now is the time we're going to head to Judges chapter 4 to understand more of who she is. So if you're there in your Bible, that's great. Um, if, if you're going to look on the screen, that's great. We're actually going to read verses 1 through 10 together. I'll read most of it but I'm going to need a little bit of help because sometimes scripture can be intimidating, especially when we get to the Old Testament. And there are some words and places and names and phrases that are hard to pronounce. And sometimes it makes me just want to stop reading altogether because I'm confused. 
So as I read through these verses, I'm going to need you to help me. When there's a word that's underlined, it's a name or a place, I want us to try to pronounce it together. Just give it your best, and remember that I'm the one with the mic, and nobody is going to hear you if you sound funny. So, here we go. Judges, chapter 4. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that, whoa, that was good, was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth Hagoyim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. Okay, I heard some confidence out there, (laughs) more than I've got. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak and to Kadesh. And there summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. And 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went with him. Amen. And thank you for your participation. I don't know how right we are with that, but it sounded great. So we can all give ourselves a pat on the back that we just read some great Old Testament content together. So what did we just read? Judges 4, 1, 1 through 10. And aside from the complex names and places, we were introduced to our matriarch, Deborah. We see in this section of Judges 4 that Deborah is a prophet, meaning she is hearing from God and sharing what God is communicating to her. We see that she is the leader of Israel. We see that she is certainly not quiet or uncomfortable in the presence of men. And in fact, in verses 6 and 7, she's outright giving orders to a man. And in verse 9, she's telling him that he will not be given the honor of defeating the enemy, but a woman will. We see in verse 8 how she is needed for the army's success. These verses show us that Deborah is not messing around. One of my favorite things that these verses show us about Deborah is that she will not desert her people. 
in verse 9, she promises, I will go with you, which sounds rather familiar to me, like something Jesus would say. And in verse 10, we see that she does, in fact, go with Barak. I love that she is steady and that she keeps to her promises. If we look at this scripture, aside from who Deborah is, there is some content that can be hard for me to wrap my head around, and, and maybe for you too. While this can be true about a lot of stuff in the Bible, I think it's often true that we find uh, ourselves getting stuck with scripture in the Old Testament. Also linked at the bottom of the Sunday page with that Bible Project video is a very helpful video from our friends at Seedbed explaining why it's useful and important to read and understand the Old Testament. I highly recommend watching it. It's like less than 10 minutes if you ever wonder about what to do with the Old Testament. I know for myself, it can be easy to think of God as two separate characters in the Bible, one God of wrath and judgment in the Old Testament and a different God of love and gentleness in the New Testament. This story in Judges 4 is definitely one that seems to fit the Old Testament God type with a language like the Lord selling the Israelites into the hands of Jabin and in verses 11 and following after what we just read, the army slaying their enemies and Sisera, the leader, getting killed. These are the moments that make me feel like, okay, we'll just leave that in the Old Testament and move on. However, when we zoom out and look at the bigger picture a little bit, we're able to consider more of the character of the full God, not this split in two God. God didn't want the Israelites to fall into this pattern of straying away. And we know from the very beginning, beginning with a capital B in Genesis 1, that humans were created for unity with God, for connection with God. And throughout the Old Testament, we learn that God's people are constantly trying to pursue God and then are consistently making decisions to turn away. And these decisions lead to consequences. In the case of Judges 4, God's people fall into the hands of their oppressors and they need someone to help them back. So, out of love for God's own people, God sends another leader, another king, another prophet to help bring these people back to God. Deborah is one who leads God's people to victory over their oppressors and back towards a right relationship with God. I'm so thankful for the time and space to do that zooming out because it makes Deborah and other parts of the Old Testament make more sense to me. It helps me see myself in the story and to understand it as part of this bigger and greater picture. So as we look at who our matriarch Deborah is, there are some characteristics of her that remind me of a few other people that I want to call out who might be familiar to you. The first is that Deborah reminds me of Serena Williams, who I love, who was in my dream last night. <laughs> I met her. She said, you're Bob's daughter? Anyway, that's for real. That was in my dream. 
Serena Williams, look at her. Fierce, I heard that. She is powerful. She is a dominant athlete, and she has 23 Grand Slam titles, which I'll say is leaps and bounds above any of us can say, and almost the most out of any professional tennis player, more than any of the male professional tennis players. Also, if you Google who has the most tennis Grand Slams, you will get a list of all of the men who have won them. And Serena Williams is not at the top of that list. Who do I talk to? Okay, Deborah, Serena, here we go. Serena, like Deborah, is full of strength and of certainty. Deborah reminds me of Cindy Parlow Cohn. Yeah, yeah. Who played soccer for award-winning teams like the Tar Heels of the late 90s, the early 2000s U.S. World Cup, and U.S. Olympic teams. She's got medals, people. She is currently the first woman president of all of U.S. soccer. And as a fun fact, she was also the student teacher in my sixth grade science class. Whoa. <laughs> I know. She, like Deborah, may have slid under your radar, but will be a name that you recognize going forward as someone who is impressive and empowered. Deborah also reminds me of Riley and Avery and Kaya, yeah. our youth group girls who were full of faith and bravery as they led us in worship last week. And ultimately, Deborah is foreshadowing Jesus. We see her steadfastness in her promise to go with her people, similar to the promise Jesus makes to his disciples in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 when he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, just as Deborah says, certainly I will go with you. We see how Deborah stands out as a leader amidst the cycle of humanity turning away from God. Jesus came to stop that cycle. And sometimes we even find ourselves participating in it as well. We see Deborah's success in slaying the Israelites' oppressors, which is a feat that pales in comparison to the victory that Jesus has over death itself. So my hope as Justin comes up and, and we begin to shift into our time of communion, my hope is that you'll take a moment to pause and to reflect, to think about all that Jesus came to save, the history of sin repeating itself, and the magnitude of a God-sent Savior. I hope you're able to reflect um, on what you've learned about Deborah or what stood out to you about her. Maybe you're remembering some of our other matriarchs that we've learned about, or maybe there are other people in, in your mind that are, that are coming to you today. And I hope, as we consider this greater story, um, that you're able to experience connection with God in a refreshing and a rejuvenating way. She is 
that Jesus figure to step in and bring about deliverance and freedom from the bondage and oppression that was a result of them going their own way. And how the Lord meets us even when we decide to turn and go our own way. He does not leave us. Though we might orient ourselves away from God, he is right there as close as our breath every single step, calling us back, inviting us back into right relationship with him. Not just for our own deliverance, but for the redemption of the world. That we get to carry the good news that he gave himself for us as the ultimate sacrifice. A way forward in a world full of sin and darkness. He is the hope that we have for freedom and a future that is full of love and compassion for the world around us. And so today as we come to the table, we join with the disciples through the ages in remembering what Christ has done for each and every one of us. That his body was broken for you and for me. He said, do this in remembrance of me. His blood was poured out. The cup is a constant reminder for us. His blood was shed. He gave himself fully and completely for the forgiveness of sin. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, meet us here again today. Pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and the cup, that they might be for us the body and blood, for the forgiveness of sin, for the setting right of all things. You meet with us here again. So friends, as we come today, our servers are going to tear off a piece of the bread and hand it to you. You can dip it in the cup and receive it. You can take it back to the, your seat with you. Just sit and reflect. Where are the areas in your life that you need deliverance today? Maybe it's for the first time saying, I want to know more about the ways of Jesus and following him. Or maybe you've been on that journey for a little while and the Holy Spirit is stirring something in you that maybe just isn't quite right yet. And he wants to do that work with you because he goes with you. So we invite you to come. We'll come down this side. David is ready to dismiss each row. And we'll come across the front to Doug and Beth. And we'll taste and see that the Lord is good. We come to the table.